Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Hashtag Jazz fans. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I don't, I don't, we're not super happy about what's going on right now with the Jazz, but we are glad that at least you're listening to us complain about it, since that's probably what we're going to be doing for a lot of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, prepare yourself. <laughs> <laughs> things, things won't get pretty, but I mean... Th- we got to reflect what's kind of going on. If the Jazz aren't doing good, then we've got to we've got to talk about it. And we're not gonna, you know, there's there's nothing bad to say about like any of the individual players or coaches, things like that. We're not gonna be like that where we attack these guys. But they're four and five. They very much look like they're four and five, and we're we're concerned at this point. We're not absolutely panicking, um, because we're nine games into the season. We've played barely one-ninth of, or maybe just under one-ninth of the games that we'll play this season. So, you know, there's a lot of time. And if there's any team that should understand how quickly or how much a season can turn, it should be the Jazz, considering how much they turned their entire season around after January of last year, or even late January. It was almost February when they started their turnaround. So, I don't know, but with Trey, that... that that Denver game had a lot of frustrating aspects to it. What were, what was your reaction to that? Oh, well, there was a lot of things that just were like harkening back to kind of that conversation we were having with the refs last week. Um, my goodness. It, it wasn't even just the Denver game too. It was with the Memphis game. Um, there was so much being called on one end and not the other. And it was just, it was atrocious. Um, I, I don't know if the refs just need to get paid more or what, but um, besides that, I did like what the Jazz did in response to especially coming off of that uh, game, uh, that brutal game against Memphis. They responded well in the first three quarters, and then the fourth quarter was just like, I want to I, I want to ch- chalk it up to fatigue because that's really I, – I, I feel like that's the best way to say it because, my God, I was so frustrated because everything they were putting up just was not working. They were missing layups for hell's sakes. <laughs> it's just – as a fan, that's just one of those games you just like – you grab anything you can and try not to smash things. Yeah, it is, it is really hard, and I, I do think – their the level of fatigue. That's what I've heard from a lot of different people uh, that I've talked to about the game. It's just they were gassed. I mean, when you think about it, they did well for, like you said, three quarters. Defensively, they were going to hold the Nuggets to a season low in points. That's what they were on pace for. Um, they were doing. They weren't doing spectacularly on offense, but they were shooting. I think at that point, a respect. It was a respectable forty-four percent. That's not going to make, that's not going to win or lose games on their own, that kind of percentage. But it, it was enough to win given how they were playing. They were up by five points heading into the fourth quarter. And then for some reason, they, I guess, I guess fatigue is the one we're, we're looking at. They gave up 35 points on defense and they only scored 15. So they ended up getting their butts kicked in that quarter. And it wasn't that anybody on the Nuggets just absolutely went off. I mean, I think their leading score in the quarter, I, I didn't add it up, but 
when I was looking through the shot charts, nobody really made more than three or four shots on in the quarter. Mason Plumley made a three. <laughs> when the hell does that happen? I just like I was sitting there watching the game with my girlfriend. I was like, he's gonna shoot that. And he's gonna, and and of course he made it. And I'm like, wow, there is no way in hell. And then the next time down, he gets fouled and he shoots his he shoots his free throws. I laughed hysterically. I was like, that guy made a three. That broken shot. <laughs> like. You know what? Sometimes it happens. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar made a three-pointer once. I, I I just was like, because at the end of the day, like, that's what you would do. You would give Mason Plumlee that shot because statistically, more often than not, he's missing that shot. So when the fact that it went in, it was like, okay, well, that's just the sign of how this quarter is going to go. Yeah, and sometimes you, you just know that's that's the way it's going to go. That's one of those signs. It's like in games where, you know, we're having tons of fun and Rudy Gobert hits like a mid-range jumper, and it's like, yeah, it's one of those games where right. nothing's going wrong for the Jazz. And in that quarter, it was it was the Nuggets. They were shooting 50-some-odd percent and I think almost the same from three. And it, it was – it's upsetting considering how well the Jazz had played on defense. And, and the thing is, we're going to talk about this in a minute. The, the defense hasn't been super good. Um, no, not at all. No. But, I mean, uh, one thing I, I do want to touch on before we get too much into that is uh, the Donovan Mitchell uh, injury scare. That about ended me. Um, I wasn't actually watching the game at that point. I was I was working on some other things and getting ready to watch the, the Utah State football game. But when I found out, I was like, "Oh shoot, the, this just this just ain't gonna end well." Um, but luckily, he came back. But I, I I get the feeling that considering I think he was already banged up, yeah, he missed he missed the the Memphis game. Mm-hmm. They weren't sure if he was gonna play against the Nuggets. I mean, what are the odds he misses a couple of games? Not necessarily because he can't play, but just because they're gonna try and rest him. Yeah, you have to. he is the number one option on offense and he is the crown jewel. I mean, yeah, Rudy Gobert is as well. He's just as important for that team as Donovan Mitchell is, but you can't, you can't, um, I can't think of the word right now, but you can't risk losing him. You just can't lose. You can't risk that. Um, And I thought, you know, obviously the hamstring felt good enough for them to give, uh, him to go ahead to play in the Denver game, um, which he did okay. Uh, he went back to his inefficient shooting, but um, Denver's, I mean, give credit, man. They're a lot better than I thought they would ever be. Yeah, they, they are doing better. And I think we touched on this last week uh, is, is that Denver is one of the surprise teams. It was the team that like, if you really thought about it, it made sense that they should be good, but none of us really, really bought into them actually, you know, being good they were kind of this team that we felt was good on paper but wouldn't actually manage to pull it together but they have and they mm-hmm. played well against the jazz and uh one thing you mentioned donovan mitchell's shooting uh last uh in the game i think he, he made seven shots five of those were in the restricted area and he went i think all of two of 15 from outside the restricted area not even yeah. necessarily outside the paint it was just when he wasn't shooting at the rim he made two out of 15 shots and it's hard because, you know, Donovan Mitchell, his his biggest weakness, if you look at it on offense, is jump shooting. 
mm-hmm. especially off the dribble. That's just not who he is. We compare him to a young Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade's never been a spectacular jump shooter. He did kind of get that mid-range jumper that was part of his game that he was able to develop. But Donovan Mitchell either needs to be at the rim or taking, you know, solid three-point shots or, you know, perfecting those those floaters in the paint. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating because so far this season, it just seems like unless he's shooting at the rim, he's not being successful. And things are going to get harder. It's going to get harder and harder for him to get to the rim, especially if the Jazz aren't managing to spread things out. And we talked about this with Derek Favors. Uh, spacing is always a problem with Derek Favors on the floor. And unless, you know, or if Ricky Rubio is on the floor with Derek Favors. So Donovan Mitchell needs to be able to get into the paint and make shots there. So I think that's going to be a, a point of emphasis going forward. Um, oh, yeah. No, I like where you're at. But I, I really, in the way that even last season was, and honestly, I don't remember most of those games, um, he got himself going by getting to the rim first. He got one or two shots at the rim, and then that built his confidence for the rest of the game. He was able to knock down jump shots. He was able to knock down threes more consistently. And the games in this season so far that he has been far more efficient is he's been going to the basket, like you said. And that's built uh, his confidence in his shot the further out he goes. And that's just something that he needs to drill down because he needs to be a threat, whether it's a two-point jump shot, uh, you know, elbow floater, like you said, or the three. If he can get open threes, I mean, how many open threes did he get last year um, just from Ricky Rubio and just playing within the offense? I mean, it was stupid, his efficiency at that point. Yeah, and I, I think the Jazz aren't quite playing, and I think Donovan Mitchell isn't quite playing as much in the offense there. You know, and again, he, he's taking these shots either outside the paint and all that, and he's, he's trying to be someone that he's not. He's not Kevin Durant. He's not Damian Lillard. He's not Steph Curry. He's... Donovan Mitchell, he and, and I, I agree totally with what you said there. Where he in last year his his strength getting to the rim that usually get him going, and the games where he would explode for points, he was usually getting into his rhythm with those points, and then he happened to be making a lot of his other shots that day. That's kind of how it was in Houston. He was making some of his shots inside, and then he was able to be making some outside shots. It was one of the few games I feel like he's shot really well from outside. If I remember the, mm-hmm. I don't remember his his box. I'd have to look it up. But it, it did just feel like he was making all those shots, but he was still getting to the rim. He was being aggressive, and, and we talked about it. Like it was his aggressiveness and getting to the rim that allowed him to get going. And he's not necessarily doing that. He's I think it was in the second or third quarter when he started to finally just go at the rim. And yeah, looking at the the Houston game, he shot four of nine from three, which, um, outside of New Orleans, it was it's his second best game shooting from three this year. His other words, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it should it should be um, deliberate every every single night. It should be a deliberate um, point of emphasis to get him to the rim, build that confidence, and then get him some shots later on. That should what it that's what it should be every single game. And then when he has to go in there and try to play hero ball, then he goes down and gets injured. I mean, when he like was rolling on the ground, when they showed him rolling on the ground and even like waves his hand to the bench to come over and check on him, that's when I was like, okay, this might even be more severe than we think it is. 
It could be an Achilles. He could like have hyperextended his foot. Maybe he went the wrong way. I mean, that could have been the Achilles, the plantar fasciitis, you name it. And then he comes back and I'm like, oh, Lord, thank you. Because, <laughs> man, like you can't lose him. He's a key piece and he need, we need to utilize him better. He needs to, he, need to, he needs to utilize his skills better is what I should say. Yeah, and definitely the Jazz can can ill afford to lose an offensive talent like him, and they can they can ill afford to misuse a talent like him. And and one of the things that it's been a theme, and and I'm worried because a lot of people will accuse him of being a chucker, you know, on offense, which isn't an unfounded claim. It can be very inaccurate at times, but I mean, when you look at it, and I think I'm looking at how many games he's. Let's see. I'm looking at the game to see where he's had more shots than points. Let's see. One, two, three, I think, so far this year. And more that have been really close. And that's highly inefficient. And, I mean, the way you end up with a lot more points than shots is by making free throws and also not missing shots. Um, sure. And there have been plenty of games where Donovan Mitchell's been inefficient. I think a lot of that comes down to him. He needs to be better. He got a really long leash last year in terms of some of the offensively inefficient games he had. But now this isn't the season where anything getting to the playoffs is a success. If the Jazz had lost in the first round, everyone in the media and fans would have been like, okay, this was enough of a success considering where we were. Mm-hmm. Getting to the second round was absolutely great. This year... The expectation is you will get to the second round at least, or this will be a regressive season. Mm-hmm. And those kind of expectations require better play. And Donovan Mitchell hasn't played better. He's played about the same. You can make an argument for slightly worse, but he's been generally the same. Uh, and that's not good enough. Sure. Well, and it was always like... There was always that doubt of, okay, well, not a doubt, but there was always that uh, thought that he was going to, because some second-year players, they plateau. They, they're they just nothing spectacular. They just kind of either regress a little bit or they stay about where they were in their rookie year. Um, so far, that's what we're getting from Donovan. I love him to death, and he's the sky's the limit for him, but right now he needs to kind of you know slow down, center himself, and remember what the team is before he can start exploding. Yeah, definitely. So long as he can, you know, he's, he's very, he's a very humble guy off the court and he's an amazing guy off the court, but I'm wondering if he's thinking a little higher of himself or maybe not so much as thinking higher of himself, just maybe he's expecting more from himself. Uh, I I think Mm. that could be the case where he's shouldering more on himself because he feels like he needs to do that considering he's the only you know, above-average offensive player, at least in terms of scoring and shooting. Um, nobody else really on this team has that, that skill set, except yeah. maybe Alec Burks. And Alec Burks has a whole ton of other baggage that goes with him that makes him not be able to play as much. Yeah, like his fractured hand. Like, when did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't even know he was injured. Yeah, that was part of the injury report. He's got like a fractured hand or something like that. I can't remember what the specifics were, but yeah, something's wrong with his hand, so he can't play. Yeah, I'm saying, looking basketball references, like it's a hand sprain. I don't know. So whatever, it's it's something. Which maybe that's why Tabo Cephalosha finally got into a game. 
Oh yeah, boy, Tabo, what a way to come back! I tell you, that was awful. Yeah, he, he's just not been in the rotation. Like that's what I was hearing from some of the the beat writers is that he's just not in the rotation. He's not playing because of injury or anything like that. He's just simply not in the rotation, which. There's a lot of things that are going wrong, but really quickly, we are going to jump into, uh, we're planning on doing a lot of segments. We're trying to, to jazz up the, uh, uh, that, that pun was not intended. We're trying to jazz up the, uh, that's, that's the are word. Are you sure that... it wasn't intended? That sounded pretty intentional. <laughs> when it first popped into my head, it wasn't, and then I decided to go with it. So it works. Can Just I count? roll with it. I'll, I'll yeah. call it semi-intentional, but we're trying to jazz up the podcast with a few more segments, some more consistent things. So sometimes we do ramble. Obviously we spent the last five or 10 minutes rambling, however long this podcast has been going. Um, but we're going to be introducing some segments. We're not going to do each of them every week, but we're going to try and have one or two each week kind of roll with, uh, how everything's going. And like, I mean, for instance, this sub, this, uh, first segment, which, um, we'll get into a minute. I wasn't thinking we were going to be doing it uh, because it's a fairly, it's usually a fairly negative segment, or at least it has to deal with the negative subject. But then the Jazz lost like two games in a row, or three games in a row now. But when I thought of it, they sled those two games to play. So we're, we're doing it now because it's a relevant thing to talk about. So without further ado, we're going to get into the segment that I like to call Critical Condition. Please state the nature of your medical emergency. Very critical. Critical condition. Critical condition. So the the basic idea of critical condition is basically me and Trey are going to put on our doctor's caps and gloves, and we're going to examine a patient. Whenever we do this, we'll have either a, a player or a team or a, some aspect that will essentially be our patient and will diagnose what is wrong with them and perhaps prescribe a solution will all of our medical expertise. You're, you're a doctor, aren't you, Trey? Um, I've played uh, surgeon simulator before. All right. He's a doctor. He is now the expert. Uh, Shit. <laughs> that, that's more experience than me. Uh, Everyone's screwed. <laughs> well, you're going to have to work your uh, surgeon's magic tray because our first patient and our first ever a segment of critical condition is the Utah Jazz defense. Now, let's let's talk a little bit about what's what's been going on, some of the symptoms. So last year, from January second to or January twenty third, pardon me, uh, until April twelfth, basically from the the loss to Atlanta that kind of marked the low point in the season to the end of the regular season, the Utah Jazz had a defensive rating of ninety eight point five which was almost five points per 100 possessions better than the second best team. And that helped them with a net rating of 11.7 during that same span. Now, in the first nine games of the regular season this far, Utah's net rating is, it's about 107, I believe. If we're, let's see, let me look at my notes. Yeah, 107.7. So that's quite the jump, or the the fall, I guess. It's a slip and fall. They've fallen essentially nine points per 100 possession. The offensive rating has fallen by like two points. It went down from like 110 in that that span I mentioned. It's at about 108.7. 
So the offense hasn't necessarily been doing that much worse in terms of points per 100 possession, but the defense has significantly slipped. Trey, let's hear your expertise. What's uh, What do you think has been going on with the, the defense of the Jazz? I want to preface this by saying I am not an actual doctor, and if um, there's any um, moments of malpractice, you cannot legally sue me for that. So um, I would say, honestly, I think it's more or less – I want to – like, to go back to last season, it was like this this energizing – thing where okay it was depressing we lost gordon hayward we just got ricky rubio we got tabo cephalosha we got um uh blondie that went to golden state i can't remember his name right now um it was like this rejuvenation like and and donovan mitchell coming in there was an excitement behind that there was this rejuvenation in the team where everyone just kind of felt like more connected because it was like oh my gosh we everyone's happy we, we could say goodbye to him that's fine whatever this season there was a summer where Donovan Mitchell was doing like his media tour. He had uh, Royce O'Neal as his like right wing man and traveling with Epe and Gobert doing his thing. Everyone's on vacation doing their thing. And I like what Ricky said after the loss against Memphis. It was like, you know, it was five months where we weren't connected. And it's a matter of getting back to that. But now that we're back to the game and we're nine games in, we've only seen glimpses of what that defense was. And I also feel like, obviously, there's a lack of communication going on. I've never seen Rudy Gobert that frustrated as he was last night. Like, I, honestly, I've not seen Rudy that frustrated, not just in himself, but in the effort of everybody else. Um, you had three quarters of great defense, and then the fourth quarter, everything just fall apart, fell apart. That's been the story of the season. I also think that another maybe symptom of this is kind of everyone just assumes that they know what to do. Does that make sense? Like they're kind of feeling like, oh, we could just read each other's minds. We know what to do. And then when it doesn't happen, they don't, they're not recovering well from that. But we even talked about this in many episodes. Defense is supposed to travel. Where I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm going off on tangents here. <laughs> I'm like thinking of too many things. I'm a habitual overthinker. Well, there's definitely a lot that is going on. Like there are a lot of things. I mean, you mentioned the fact that they, there were high expectations for the season. There's just, there's just a different feel coming into the season. There's the fact that they were away from each other. And you mentioned like they, everyone felt like they could read each other's minds. Well, they didn't have to work on that for five months. So they forgot how to do it because I mean, by the end of last season they were really used to playing together and now they're, they're having to do that again against real competition kind of a you know I guess a re-baptism almost so to speak so it, it also seems like there, there's a lot of times there seems to be just a lack of effort and I, I wouldn't say this is on Rudy Gobert at all I know that Rudy Gobert is you know he's the center of the defense I don't think it's really been him at all I feel like there's been other factors and I don't know who really to pin this lack of defense on. It's not like anybody's playing significantly worse. The only player I feel like I can say is playing. Well, there's two guys that I would say are playing significantly worse. I don't know if it's necessarily on defense. The two guys I would say aren't playing quite as well are Derek favors and Ricky Rubio. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm looking up their, their defensive ratings for this year based off last year. But I mean, this year 
their defensive ratings aren't that bad. Ricky Rubio's is at 104, which is barely worse than Rudy Gobert. Um, Derek Favors, actually, he's pretty low on the team next to Royce O'Neal. So maybe in those two, uh, where we've talked about Royce O'Neal kind of struggling early on in the season, his plus minus hasn't been where we'd like it to be usually. You know, I mentioned that was the strength of his game last year was that he would, he would play well on the floor and not on the box score. Well, now he doesn't really seem to be playing well on the floor or in the box score. And it's the same way with Derek Favors too. Derek Favors just hasn't looked the same. He's not, he's not playing the same. He's not having the same impact on either side of the court. Um, again, if you look at the defensive rating, if you take out a Alec Burks and Ipe Yudo, he's eighth on the team in defensive rating. Alec Burks and Ipe Yudo are first and second defensive rating. Um, but it's kind of a small sample size thing. Mm-hmm. So honestly, if I were to diagnose this myself, I, I'd say a lot of this comes down to, um, again, it, there's not really anyone we can single out blame on, but I think two bigger ones, we're not seeing as much out of Royce O'Neal, and Derek Favors is just missing. I don't know what happened to him. Um, yeah, yeah, that one's that one's bizarre. I, yeah, I, I just I think this mostly comes down to a lack of communication. I think that they're just trying to assume that someone is going to be there. And I've also seen a lot more switching going on than I did last year. And I given remember I haven't I don't remember the majority of the games last year. I can't like my mind is just can't retain all of that. Nobody's can. Um, also, I don't have a ton of money, so I can't like pay the NBA to watch all of those games again. But um, I've seen way more switching from them. And last year, I, it, correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't see much switching last year. It was a lot of like kind of funneling players to where they wanted it to go. It was them dictating what the offense was supposed to do, not what the offense wanted to do. And I've not seen that this year. So I believe, if I remember right, you, you may be right on that because I think I heard uh, Quinn Snyder talk about, or at least secondhand talk about Quinn Snyder talking about, doing more switching, doing that yeah. more, being able to do that. And so I think that's right. And again, I have not been able to watch all the games this year because I'm a, a college student and I, I tend to work during the time slot where the Jazz play. And so I've mm-hmm. I've watched about half the games. So and I haven't paid too much attention to that. They, they have done well to sometimes dictate that and force mid-range jumpers. But, I mean, yeah, if, if that is the case, you know, that was the strength last year was that they'd funnel everything to Rudy Gobert or, you know, force a bad shot. And they were able to, you know, for the regular season at least, they were able to completely, they imposed their will on other teams rather than adjusting to what they're doing, which I feel like is what the switching defense generally is. It's you're adjusting to the offense rather than forcing the offense to do what you want. And that works really well if you have defenses that can switch. The Jazz don't really have a defense that I feel like can switch super well. They can usually switch one through four pretty close. Um, but Rudy Gobert can't switch on to really anybody. His strength is, I will control the paint. That's his strength. Um, and maybe like when you're having a lineup like Dante Exum, oh, Dante Exum and Royce O'Neal, Joe Mingles and Jay Crowder, you can switch one through four. But that wasn't necessarily their strength last season. 
they were just able to impose their will defensively onto another team. So perhaps that is that is one of the the key causes of this, this illness, shall we speak? Yeah, I mean, it could be. I mean, uh, the team just isn't built the the defense. I don't think, and the team, the personnel we have is not built for that switching defense because um, there's only so many people on our squad that can play off ball and do that switch. Because the, I mean, the whole point of the switch on this on the pick and roll, Memphis did this to us like over and over and over again is they got the matchup they wanted and they exploited it every single time. We couldn't do anything about it. Um, and when you have Marcus All who can take a three at any given moment, you take Rudy out of the paint, your chances of scoring just got that much better. Um, and if you put Rudy Gobert on Mike Conley, guess what? Mike Conley's going around Rudy Gobert every single time. Um, and I think, and I, I failed to look up on the freedom movement. I was like something was like, uh, the arm wraps and grabbing or like kind of like shoving players out of their spots. I think freedom of movement has a lot to do with this as well because no longer can they bully people off ball in the paint. It, you just can't do it. And especially on screens, you can't touch them after that screen. It's basically you have to get back to a spot to cut them off uh, legally than touching them and trying to disrupt them that way. I think that's also kind of playing into the hands uh, in favor of the offense to the Jazz's defense. They're having troubles with that, and there's, there's got to be something that Quinn can figure out. But given how often we played in the last two weeks, it's really hard to do all of that research and get your team um, going towards that goal. All right, so we, we discussed some of the symptoms, the, the issues, the diagnosis. Basically, there's a long list of things wrong. Basically, uh uh, I don't know if I can go over there. There's freedom of movement. Uh, you know, some guys just aren't playing quite as well as they were last year. You know, Derek Favors, Royce O'Neal haven't quite lived up to what they were able to do. Um, change in kind of what they are trying to do uh, defensively. You know, switching things like that. So we've got all those things. Let's talk about potential solutions. A uh, uh, what's the word? Prescription. What would you prescribe for the Jazz? You know, what could the Jazz try and do? Maybe little adjustments, um, things they can do to get back to what they were. They, you know, that 98, yeah, that 98.5 or 90.7, whatever defensive rating they had last year. Like, what steps can the Jazz take to get back to that point? I'll tell you, number one, take pride in defense again. <laughs> like, I, I don't see them taking pride in their defense. I, I, that's that's really like the number one thing for me, like take pride in defense, take pride in trying to shut these people down. Why are you making the offense dictate what you're doing? And they're just running through the motions. That's number one for me. Yeah, I think definitely it is very possible. I, they could be focusing a lot on offense because, and it maybe come back to that complacency kind of that was brought up that, you know, we figured this is a defensive team. Oh, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, we're a defensive team, but we're going to work on offense and get better on offense. And then they forgot defense. It's like, oh yeah, that was who we are. So yeah, definitely, I think taking pride in, you know, I think uh, one solution maybe Derek Favors right now is playing 22 minutes per game. Last year he played 28. Um, and I'm wondering, in in Derek Favors is going to have to step up individually, but I can't help but think that last year Derek Favors his impact 
made a difference on the defensive end. You know, as both a backup center and as a power forward, he has generally been a good defender. And the fact that we're playing uh, Jay Crowder a lot more, I think that plays into the fact that it plays into the we're switching more and trying to be a defense that we're not. And I think the solution is either we we can't be playing halvesies here and Derek Favors is stuck in the middle of a, you know, two different philosophies. The philosophy that worked pretty well last year, where you're playing two power forwards a lot, or Derek Favors is playing the backup five, or the philosophy of playing guys like Jay Crowder and uh, Joe Ingles and whoever else we're playing at the four, Georges Nyang. I feel like we need to commit to a style of defense that we have the roster for. We're trying to play a a style of defense that we're not fit for. So I think we need to make sure that we're playing defense based on our roster, which is what we did last year, you know, and not try and be someone that we're not. Totally. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, why I understand that Quinn wants to incorporate new things, but I mean, if, yeah, if they're going to talk about our identity as our defense and there's been little to no lick of defense over this amount of time, then how can you say that your identity is defense anymore? Especially if you're not playing it. Um, go back to being hard-nosed. I mean, my hell, the Memphis Grizzlies are 100% that grit-and-grind identity, and that's what we were last two seasons. This season, I don't know, like, why is, why like, offense seems to be so much more of that emphasis. It's like that identity crisis. I don't understand it. Be, be the ones who dictate what the offense does. Don't let the offense dictate what you're going to do. If you're just running through the motions, you're going to get beat every time. Take more pride in it. It's ridiculous. Like, Rudy Gobert shouldn't be the only one that's trying to bail you out. Jay Crowder. I mean, the best defensive lineup is when those two are on the floor together is when Jay and Rudy are on the floor. Yeah. So they they do need to, I guess, reform that identity. That's That'll be our prescription. Jazz need to re-identify the identity of this team, take pride in the defense, know who you are, and then take advantage of that, just like they did last season. They made do with what they had, and they made the best of it. This year, they're trying to be somebody they're not. They're trying to be a better offensive team, and by trying to be a better offensive team, which is something they should strive for, they should try and be a better offensive sure. team. But sure. they're leaving behind who they were. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know how many teams got frustrated playing against us last season because we were just everywhere on the defensive end. We were shutting down lanes. We were cutting off passing lanes. We were blocking everything. I mean, we made it in near next to impossible to score inside. Where is that? Like, pray, please bring that back. Yeah, that that's what we need. We need to make sure we're expending the energy on defense necessary. Remember who we are. As a, isn't that from uh, Mufasa? He's talking to Simba. Remember who you are. Is that what he said? Oh, in that shoot. I don't I know. I can't remember the exact quote. like, remember. <laughs> that, that's my attempt at a Mufasa impersonation. <laughs> I'll see myself out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that essentially concludes our first edition of Critical Condition. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did you can tweet at one of us, or if you really hated it, you can also tweet at one of us and tell us we suck. And I don't know. Then I'll ignore you or block you or something, but feedback is appreciated, I guess. (laughs) 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 All right. uh, Kind of on that note. And I've had this thought 
recently. I'm wondering, because we talk about you know, building on defense and trying to become a more offensive team, you know, because the rest of the NBA seems to be moving more towards offense. Defense seems, you know, less relevant. Well, it is still important. The best teams do still play defense. You know, the Celtics, Warriors, and all that, and they, they still play great defense. But the Jazz, they're going, most teams, I should say, I'll start with most teams, they tend to go from offense, and then they build up their defense, which is basically exactly what the Rockets did. They actually played pretty good defense last year. The Warriors kind of did it the same way. They kind of built both up at the same time because they had Draymond Green. Um, but the Jazz are kind of going from we're building up a great defense and then we're building up a great offense. Do you think that philosophy is flawed? Mm. Let me put you on the spot here. I don't think so because I think it was more or less, I mean, that's the whole reason they kept this team together in the first place and they just, you know, got rid of Jonas Derebko. I remembered his name. Um is because they knew that the defense was going to be there. And I think that it maybe have gone to their heads. I don't know. I mean, it's always a good thing to do, like put more of an emphasis on the on your offense, especially in this uh, modern NBA style. I mean, you got to be able to score against your Golden State Warriors. Um, you got to be able to score against your Houston Rockets. You got to be able to score against those high-powered offenses. But there should be just as much emphasis on the defense, if not more. Because if you're letting these high-powered offenses just do what they want, you're going to lose that game. Yeah, and definitely, and I, I think there's there's definitely a place for defense. I know putting emphasis on defense will never lead you astray. Um, I, I just worry though that you know if we're trying to build a defense then an offense, and and I don't know. I'm not an expert on these things. I'm not an expert in NBA history. I don't know if teams have done this in the past where they go defense then offense. But I just get the feeling that most great teams they tend to have the offense and then they're able to pull together a good defense and again the championship teams just about always have great defense uh-huh. this isn't something that you can overlook i mean the rockets this year i believe are going to struggle a lot more because they won't be as good on defense as they were last year uh-huh. the golden state warriors have been almost as good on defense as they are on offense part of that is a product of their offense being so great it causes some some problems for the opposing team and it kind of plays into their hand, but they're still a great defensive team. The Miami heat teams that LeBron James was on a while back, the ones that were winning championships, they had really good defense, at least for a couple of those years when they were truly dominant. So defense is something you can ignore, but most of those teams started with offense, went to defense. The jazz are doing the opposite. It's an interesting experiment. And I'm wondering, can it work? Can the jazz make it work where they're, they're building a defensive team that be, comes an offensive team out i don't know it's a thought yeah it it is and i mean it's not a bad thing to kind of implement but is that going to be something that we have to hold out for half a season to see again i mean last season was just tumultuous because we had rudy gobert go out two separate times and all these other players donovan's especially had to get um a lot more development in. And I think that that kind of played into the Jazz's favor because they had to learn how to play together without Rudy. Whereas so far this season, we have everybody. Um, we've had some injuries here and there, but um, I, it's just weird. It's a weird conundrum that I honestly just don't have the answer to. And I think Quinn has a good idea. I just don't know what the hell he tells his team. I really don't. 
Yeah, and, and kind of going back to, I mean, reaction so far this season, uh, you mentioned the injuries with Rudy and stuff like that. There have not been any excuses for this team. Because, yeah, with Rudy, it's like, oh, yeah, we, we sucked early in the season because the schedule was brutal. Donovan was adjusting. Ru- Rubio was adjusting to being on the team. And Rudy Gobert was out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, of course we were bad. You know, that that's the kind of logic that we go into. And, you know, once everybody got together, we added Jay Crowder, you know, and, and Rodney Hood was out and all these different things or, you know, whoever you want to place the blame on for the, the struggles early season, those factors were all gone. Those factors are still gone. And we're regressing back to what we were early last season. And, you know, you talk about Quinn what he says to his players. I don't know what he's saying to his players either. And I don't know what he is supposed to say. Cause it's like, okay, you guys went like, I don't know. What was it like 31 and nine or I don't know whatever the record was towards the end of the season. They had a, they were on like a 60 win pace at the end of the season. They were playing like a number one seed in the conference. Mm-hmm. And this is the same team. There's like two changes. They lost Jerebko, they added Allen. That's pretty much it. I mean, right. George's Ning's kind of fed his way into the rotation, but he's playing like five minutes a game. Is that that disruptive? I mean, there was all this talk of continuity and how we're going to maintain everything and then we're going to be that team and then get better. Well, continuity hasn't helped. Ricky Rubio, for the first time, has had continuity between seasons. He's done worse, significantly worse. He's having the worst year of his career so far. Granted, mm-hmm. nine games, but still. He's not shown us what he showed five months ago. So that that's the biggest part of the frustration. Is that, yeah, and it, yeah, and it has nothing to do with scouting. I mean, everybody knows exactly what this team is going to do. It's nothing like anybody's any other team is putting a greater emphasis on one player or the other. I mean, pe- people come into, you know, they know that once when the Utah Jazz are coming into town, they know exactly what to expect. Yeah. But they knew that at the end of last season. And when we rolled into Oklahoma City, they they knew what we were doing. Donovan still put up 30 something on them every other night. Right, but that was a team at that point that was like, no one's going to push us around. We're going to be the ones to push you around. And Joe Ingles, like, he's the instigator. He's going to get into anybody's head. I mean, the stuff he was doing to Paul George, even in the playoffs, it was just like, that dude does not care. He does not care, and he's going to get in your head. That's what this team needs to do again. Like, be the, be the, be the hard asses that you were last year. Why can't you do that? I don't understand it. Like, get up in people's chest. Get up and shove them. I don't care. Get some fouls. Like, let them know you're not going anywhere. Yeah. I wish we had that team. That That's about all I can say at this point is I, I wish right. we had that team. And if they were playing right now, they wouldn't be 4-5. and five. They wouldn't necessarily be 9-0, and oh, but they'd be like, I don't know, 6-3, 7-2 and three, and two maybe. At least about 500. Um, but I mean, kind of bringing that point up, this has been a difficult schedule. I will say so far, not absurdly difficult. Cause I mean, when you think about it, when they played Houston, they were missing Chris Paul. And then with New Orleans, the next game, they were missing Anthony Davis. They won both of those games to their credit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, these last games, jazz played Dallas, struggled with them, but still beat them. 
Minnesota lost, and uh, was Jimmy Butler out of that game, or was it Carl? Who was yeah, Jimmy game? Butler was out, but apparently Derrick Rose decided I'm going to be an MVP. That that hurt. That just hurt. Like that's the only way I can say. Like if there's a like, I always say I like Derrick Rose, and it was really sad. But then when he hit, he put fifty on us. My at least temporarily, my uh, opinion of him went way down. <laughs> but uh, really, I did. I mean, that dude's been through a lot. I mean, he's had some legal issues, which I don't know if ever was resolved. But honestly, like I was bummed about the loss. I was I was happy for him. Honestly. Yeah, honestly, when I do think about it, it's like, yeah, the guy's been through hell and back. Give mm-hmm. him his moment. I, I'm just frustrated that it happened against the Jazz. Right. That's really where all that salt comes from, is that it happened against mm-hmm. the Jazz. If there's a guy mm-hmm. who kind of deserves to be in the glory days again, it's a guy who's had to have like five knee surgeries and basically had his body screw him out of a a potential Hall of Fame career. So. Sure. Um, but then lose to Memphis again. Uh, who Memphis? They're like six and two, aren't they? They they got a pretty decent record. They're up there in the Western Conference right now. I told you, man. Memphis is good. <laughs> you you did say that. Uh, I don't know. Well, we'll see. Um, and then Denver. So like, there, there's a lot of playoff teams in there you're looking at. Um, but of course the schedule is going to get even worse because we're going to get a three game homestand. But two of those games are Toronto and Boston. And we might be missing Donovan Mitchell for one or more of those games. Mm-hmm. Probably against Toronto. Maybe. I don't know. It just it depends. Donovan always wants to play, but... Oh, they've already ruled Donovan out from my They have? Day. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I hadn't heard that. Okay, so he's gone. Maybe Dallas. We'll see. But then after we face those, we go... For some reason, we play Memphis again. And then Dallas again. What the crap? Why are we playing Dallas? Dallas again, again and Boston again. <laughs> What the heck is wrong with the schedule makers? I don't know. And then we we play the Kings on the 21st, and then we play them again on the 25th. This doesn't make sense. Like we play Memphis four times this year, and yeah, you know, four times probably. Maybe uh, yeah, oh, yeah, four. I mean, we'll play Memphis. Yeah, four we, times, and then we're done. We we won't play him again until March after we play him on the on the 12th. Uh, so the schedule is going to get hard because, yeah, we say we have a three-game homestand. Two of them are against super tough opponents. One of them is against Dallas. Uh, then we go on that's five games on the road. Oh, heck. Brutal. Let, me, let me do some really quick math. Maybe you can talk while I do math here. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve games, I think I counted. And ten of them are on the road. Jeez. That's, that's twelve games, Kate. 10 out of 12 games on the road after this three-game homestand. And a lot of them are tough opponents. Like I said, Philadelphia's on there, Boston's on there, Indiana, the Lakers, um, Charlotte, who's been doing pretty well. And there's some easier ones mixed in there. You know, Sacramento's in there. Um, Sacramento's in there twice, you know, like you said. And then there's Brooklyn. But again, it's not like we're playing any cupcake teams. When's the first time we play the Suns? (laughs) That's the team... That's the team that solves everybody's problems. Um, okay, the first I'm time I'm still I've, looking. The first time I'm look, I'm seeing is in yeah, we play him in uh, February, February 6th. <laughs> we play him four times after February. Okay, so I, I mean, part of this is the Jazz do have a, a hard first schedule, but to counteract that point, we were supposed to be a good team. Right. So it's like okay, 
we're struggling in a lot of ways against, uh, and there have been breaks on the schedule. Like I said, we were, Rockets were missing, missing Chris Paul, and they're not doing very well either. New Orleans missing Anthony Davis. You know, Dallas. Those are some easy games. And in our supposedly easy games, we're like 2-2 two and two or something like that. Maybe one, yeah, and one we haven't won at home. We haven't won at home yet. That just ticks me off. You should, you should win at home. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so we are going to do one really quick segment here. We're going to end on a positive note. Um, so this is our other segment. This is what we would call our unsung hero. Um, we did this last year, actually. We did it once. And I can't even remember who we gave it to. Who did we give it to? Derek Favors? Uh, it's probably either Derek Favors or Royce O'Neal. One of those two. Probably, yeah, one of the two. I want to say it was Derek Favors because he, he, he's always under the radar. Just always. Mm-hmm. Good or bad, he's under the radar. Um... But neither of those are going to get this week's Unsung Hero Award. And we're not going to give this out every week because not every week we're going to have an Unsung Hero. But Jay Crowder. And he's probably the person we haven't said a negative thing about this season. And we've said negative things about just about everybody. Him and Rudy Gobert probably. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, and we've touched on this before, but we said we needed Boston Jay Crowder. And by goodness, we've gotten Boston Jay Crowder. I knew we were going to get him. I knew we were going to get him, man. And I was he optimistic. Been, yeah. I mean, he's been invaluable. And, like, he, you could tell that he, he's back to his workhorse days, man. Like, he is all over the court. He's coming over and blocking shots from the top of the key. I mean, he's hitting big shots. He's being a pest on defense. If anybody needs to learn how to play defense, they need to watch Jay Crowder right now because he is just being stupendously reliable. Yeah, I was very optimistic too. So I was, I was kind of on that train where it's like, I'm thinking we're probably going to get him. I won't, I won't jump on the bandwagon yet. Although, jump on everybody aboard the Crowder wagon. You know, he's he's third on the team in scoring, 14.4 points a game. Um. Of the guys who are playing more than 10 minutes a game, he is leading the team in three-point percentage. The only guy shooting better is Georges Nying, who shoots, like, four fewer threes per game than Jay. Um, mm. it's like, so he's beating out Joe Ingles for three-point percentage. Right. Um, oh, Royce O'Neal, actually, he's shooting 50%. Never mind on that. Never mind that 10 minutes per game thing. Uh, Ooh, but, I mean, Royce, uh, Royce is shooting one three shots three per you've game. taken? Yeah, Royce O'Neal is averaging 0.93s per game. So, like, Jay Crowder is averaging 6.2. He's shooting more threes per game than Nying and Royce O'Neal combined. Um, though he's technically shooting a worse percentage, but he's averaging nearly 40%. He's averaging 46.2 overall on the season. Um, nearly six rebounds. Nearly two assists. 0.4 Four blocks last night. Yeah, four blocks. So, he's... He, that probably brought his block percentage up quite a bit. But yeah, the biggest thing I mentioned, I just probably mentioned it, 0.4 turnovers a game. 31 minutes a game and 0.4 turnovers. He's the best player on the team. Yeah, like like everyone else who plays any significant minutes is averaging almost three. Or, you know, between two and a half and three. Yeah, something like that. I'm getting mixed up. I'm looking at all the different columns on basketball reference, and I'm getting confused between blocks and player fouls. 
Yeah, I mean, unsung hero to a T. I mean, nobody's talking about how what the production is is Jay Crowder. I've been noticing every single game. I mean, what was I can't remember what game it was. He came down on what's his face's foot. He sprained his ankle, and even since then, he's still putting in huge minutes. The guy is a workhorse. Yeah, he's he's averaging thirty-one minutes a game. He's basically replacing Derek Favors. I mentioned Derek Favors only averaging twenty-two minutes a game, six fewer than last season. Those mm. minutes are going to Jay Crowder, and Jay Crowder is earning them. And I guarantee, you know, we talk about Jay being an unsung hero in, in the eyes of the media and fans. He's not an unsung hero to Quinn Snyder. I can guarantee that. Oh, Quinn, for sure. Quinn's taking notice of Jay. And he's, you know, we talk about Quinn puts guys in based on playing defense. Jay's been doing that, and he's also been doing super well on offense. So the, the one positive, the one major positive we can grab out of this is – you know, despite the struggles of Donovan, Ricky, and everyone else, pretty much everyone else has had their struggles in one way or another. Jay Crowder has not struggled. So yeah, he's been he's been like the one constant. <laughs> him and Rudy Gobert, I, I can't throw Rudy Gobert because sure. he's right. been doing. But but I mean, we expected him to do that, and he's been consistent. Like since what twenty? When did he? start getting in the rotation like 2013 2014 or just 2015 yeah. mm-hmm. whenever we traded away uh ennis Cantor, he's been consistent since then but but jay crowder he's, he's stepped up and hopefully everyone else around jay maybe the his greatness will rub off on you know everyone else and we'll get in something good one would hope uh, one would hope that that's that's all we got left right now is hope Yes. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not gonna push the panic button quite yet. It is still very frustrating to see them not performing at the level we would expect them to be, and I'm sure that they expect to be performing at a higher level too. I mean, that's what this comes down to: is they just expect this. Um, but that's also been the Achilles heel of the Jazz for as long as I can remember. They expect to win, and that's the problem. They don't need to expect anything. You need to work for it. Yeah. So. As long as they do that, you know, like last year, they worked to win. This year, they're not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I came really close to pushing the panic button on on Saturday. Real close. No, I'm sure I'm, you're not the only one, man. Like, I, I I had some thoughts of it, but I wasn't about ready to push it yet. I mean, I realized nine games. We've played nine games. That's, yeah. That is mincemeat. Um but I'm sure like every chess fan that hardcore or otherwise is just like, oh, this is not good. Yeah, we, we kind of all had to talk ourselves off the ledge. Um, it was kind of what I had to do. I had to talk myself off that ledge. Uh, it's just, you know, hold on. Let's see what happens. Teams go mm-hmm. through slumps. Maybe this is ours. If we adjust, if the Jazz adjust, mention, you know, make sure we're doing what we're supposed to on defense. Don't be stupid on offense. Then we'll be fine. They'll be fine. They have talent. They have ability. They have potential. They have the work ethic and all that. Everything you need to be a good team, good coach and everything, good organization. They now just need to put in the work. And that's about all there is to say about that. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Again, from Jason Walker, Trey Sanders, this is Hashtag Jazz. We'll talk to you next week.